What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Deep Dish Conversations. I'm your host and creator, Jerome Moore, and we all know all of our guests are amazing, you know, and it's even more amazing when we have Nashville natives, you know, that kind of grew up around the same area and everything on the show. So we have Christian Bugs, the chair of the NPS uh, School Board of Education, and she does a lot more uh, United Way, teacher, all the mother. Activist, leader, bartender. Uh, bartender uh, bar- you know, she did ask me about drinks in. Nah, I'm yeah, just joking. <laughs> um, but now, nah, welcome. How you been? I've, I've been okay. You know, I've been she okay. asked me, "Do we really get to eat the pizza?" Uh, yeah, of course. That's why people come. I think really, it ain't for me. Mm. <laughs> it looks delicious. So look, let's get straight into it. Let's get straight into it. Um, education is a is a, a big deal, right? It affects. Um, all of our community here in Nashville, right? It affects every profession. Every profession, right? Um, and just so happily, it seems like in education, there are harmful disparities that affect people that look like me and you, our sure. youth. Um, specifically here in Nashville, when it comes to suspension, expulsion, uh, getting into the higher achievement programs, um, what is going on? especially from your lens, being right in the thick of things. Talk to us. Let's, let's get deep, straight straight into it. Okay, you better be ready for a lot of nuance, a lot of data, and then just right, a we, lot we of... We need the facts. I, yeah. I give it to you. So um, in my daytime role, I, I am the manager of literacy partnerships with the United Way. All right, so to take us back, 2017, the then Mayor Barry really wanted to focus on the pre-K space. What does it look like as soon as a child is born until they're about five or six? What does it look like to make sure that they have supports? Mm -hmm. Because 30% of our students come into Nashville schools already one full grade level behind. So Mm. before they've opened a book with us, before they've, you know, gotten on a bus, eaten, you know, the little pizza from the cafeteria, they're already a full grade level behind. So what can we do to, to impact that? But then when you really break the break the data down, when you look at black or brown boys, 80% of our students come into first grade a grade level behind. What's happening in our community that we're really not resourcing students, right? And so that has been blowing my mind as I have this dual role of being on the board and really looking at strategy. And you have a black son. And I have a three-year-old son. And so there was this nervousness because, of course, I'm a co-parent. You know, I, 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 it's just me and him. He sees his dad on the weekends. You know, my baby is a statistic in a, a statistic in a number of ways. How do I make sure to support him, right? Mm-hmm. And so I always have these things going on in my mind as I make decisions with the school 
school board because I know what our students and families are facing even before they come to us. So I, it, there's so much that I can say when you ask that question because right. part of it is resourcing our communities, making sure that parents feel empowered, supported, making sure that they know the standards like, you know, when do you start teaching your child colors? Right. Letters. When should they know how to spell their name? Right. If nicknames are okay, do, should they be able to spell those also? Do they right. need to know their uh, their home phone number and address at right. five or at seven? Just all those different those different um, standards that they have to meet. So I'm gonna throw something at you. Sure. Up oh, there she go. We gonna we got that. <laughs> she was worried about I'm messing up. We got it. <laughs> She's human, everybody. But um, no, I got I got to throw this at you because this is the predicament I'm in now. I have um, he be I have a son, Jameson. He be two. Okay. You know, be two. I am a product of MNPS public schools, like yourself. With all this data, now I'm older, mature. I, I, I see what's going on. I understand, and what I'm being, what I see is, well, the public school system here in Nashville is not meant or built for my sons to succeed. Sure. Like other kids of different race and color, ethnicities, right? What would you say to the a parent like myself and others here in Nashville that see this data? Um, may also be products of, you know, MNPS or public schools in different cities and states that they come from. What how would you, what, what would you say to them to encourage them to still give MNPS schools a chance? Oh, great question. So much. So first I would say, you know, there's been this big push to see black lives as mattering. Mm -hmm. Well, if black lives matter in adulthood, when we see disparities in the way that we're treated, black lives should matter in childhood. Right. And it's not that schools are good because of the type of student or the type of family that attends. It's the, the type of resources that we put into those schools. So I'll give you an example. There's a school here called Lachlan. It's in East Nashville. At one point, it was in the bottom 10% of the state. It had had, you know, students that were middle to low income, and I mean, you're talking 90% for your reduced lunch. Right now, it's in the bottom 10%, I'm sorry, the, the top 5% of the state in performance. All it took was like six to eight families that decided this is going to be our neighborhood school. Not only are we going to put our students here, but we're going to be a human resource for them. Right. They started a PTO, they started fundraising, they started better supporting the principal, they asked questions of teachers, they elevated the entire school in a number of ways, simply because they were engaged. Mm. What I've seen happen, particularly with predominantly black schools or in predominantly black neighborhoods, everyone that could opt out, opted out. So I think about myself. I grew up in North Nashville, should have been zoned to White's Creek. I think about the three other people on my street or in my, you know, close to my street that all went with me to MLK. Instead of us going to White's Creek, how much would we have impacted that class of 2003 if our parents with their fundraising capability, the idea that they were knowledgeable about the system and understood mm -hmm. the questions they should be asking, they offered supports to our teachers, they pushed us to be better, they gave us ACT prep programming and uh, you know over the weekends and the summers, if that kind of support would have been um, more consistent at White's Creek, how different would White's Creek's class of 2003 have been? And yeah. so we don't see ourselves in the community as part of these systems, but we are. Right. Because when we opt out and we say, yeah, I love black people, I love being black, but oh, my little black child can't be with those other little black children. Mm. We're not only sending a message to our children that says white is right or that there's something wrong or that anti-blackness is a thing we should accept, but we also mm. pull resources from the community that we live in that we claim to love. And so I've been trying to spread the message to everyone, choose your zone, your zone school. You can make it just as good as any magnet, as any charter, as any other optional school, and you can certainly make it as good as any private school because the $12,000 a year that we get for MNPS schools does not compare to the $30,000 a year that USN spends right. or the $35,000 a year that Innsworth spends, right. not to mention some of the other um, 
um, private schools in our area that we think are doing well, but who are still putting out students that are graduating with lower at, at lower rates, right. or that are graduating having taken the ACT and only earning a 15 or 16. I mean, there's just a lot of, because, this, because it is a public system, there's a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication about what public schools do. Right. And the last thing that I'll say, you know, my son goes to Jones. Jones is a school that serves all five homeless shelters in Nashville. But when I say my baby is thriving, he already right. knows everything he needs to know for first grade. And it's not me. Right. I mean, we do a little bit of something, but right. it's that it is a great school that has been under-supported. It's right. been under-resourced. But the more that I'm there to ask questions, to speak with his peers, or to speak with the, the parents of his peers, the more that we can build a PTO, because they haven't had a PTO in at least six years. Wow. The, you know, the entire Pearl Cone cluster doesn't have a PTO. And so schools that are able to fundraise, like some of our local charter schools that are able to fundraise at great rates, mm -hmm. they're seeing an increase in outcomes, but we should be seeing that same increase. We should be doing that same level of fundraising. I know I just do a lot. No, of no, issues. no, no. This is no. This is this is strong. This is good. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep throwing them back. Sure. Um, you spoke about the parents that are already in these communities, right? Sure. Um, I was on for White Street too. <laughs> oh, damn. We 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 missing out. We Sorry, White Street. Um, there's there's a lot of movement here in Nashville, mm -hmm. right? Hundred people moving here a day. We seeing our neighborhoods transform. Um, which can be looked at as good or bad, right? Sure. Um, you know, you can be a different type of gentrifier. You don't have to be the typical, as uh, Will Acuff says, it's an uppercase and a lowercase g of gentrifiers, mm. right? Um, and I, and I got to say this. The uppercase g is the one that, um, hope I get this right, Will. The uppercase g is the one that blocks themselves off from the community mm -hmm. that they just, you know, are, are coming Buys into. Buys a home in the community but then doesn't want to send yeah, the child it, to that school. Let's get into it. And so you already know I'm going. So how can, because I see these these folks, especially if they they not uh, people of color folks, as potential allies to our public school system. What would you say to encourage them that, like, if you're going to move on 28th into a tall and skinny, or if you're going to move into East Nashville or these other parts that have been historically black, right, um, and have, you know, public schools that you could send your child to, Send them there. What would you What would you tell those people that's moving in and may not be from here, may not understand the neglect, may not understand the harm that has been done systemically uh, to our public schools? So what I realized um, the last couple of years being on the school board is that it's all about messaging, that we don't do a good job of messaging in public schools because we often don't have enough funding to get communications professionals. Mm -hmm. But we've got to shift the way that we talk about schools. And that's what I've been telling everyone around me. Stop talking negatively about a school, especially if you haven't been in there. And then if you have been in there and you've seen a need, think about the root of the problem, not the symptom that you see. So if you mm -hmm. see children acting inappropriately or maybe not uh, meeting the level of academic success that you think they should be meeting, think about why they didn't get there. because just like I say, every parent wants what's best for their child, every child wants to be the best in the room. There's right. not a single child that wakes up and says, you know what, man, I'm going to be stupid today. Right. I'm going to be mediocre. I'm going to be, yeah, right. I'm, I'm not going to do well. I just want right. to fail. <laughs> not a single person does that, let right. alone children. We just haven't resourced them. So. I think about um, some of our majority community members, some of our white neighbors, especially gentrifiers, who sometimes just don't know. 
you need to change their hearts and minds. So sometimes it's just having a conversation with them to explain the history of Nashville, right. to explain how diversity and how optional schools have kind of shifted the way we talk about, view, and even insert our children into public schools. But then I also want to remind people that if you're going to call yourself an ally, I need you to be a true ally, and it is going to be uncomfortable. Because right. if African Americans are going to be uncomfortable every single day, then your level of allyship needs to match our uncomfortability. Mm. You, it, you saying to me that you bought this house because you love the neighborhood, but you don't want your daughter to be the only black, white child in a school full of black children, welcome to our world. Right. Do you really think your baby is going to be harmed by seeing people who don't look like them? Right. Do you really think that you, with all the resources that you bring, having purchased a, a home in cash while community members who have lived there for centuries, literally centuries, their, their families have lived in the same home, yeah. yeah, that they can't afford to buy that home now, do you really think that they're going to do harm to you or your family? Right. It was good enough for you to live there. It should be good enough for you to educate your child there. And, I mean, so much of education, especially students who are, are – earning 30s and 36s on the ACT or students who are learning to code at seven years old, many, most of that happens outside of the school day anyway because right. we know what we want to expose our individual children to. I love science and I love the arts. My son is going to always be involved in arts and science. I love um, athletics. He's going he's gonna to play sports year-round. So whatever I give to him is mm -hmm. going to be outside of the school day anyway. So right. there's something that you feel like he's missing. Not only can you support other students in your community by inserting that into the school, but you can also still give your child access to that later. Right. Being a um, native Nashville. A native from out north. Native from out north. Bado. Excuse me. The big in Bado. That's Bado how we say specific. it. Yeah. Bordeaux. Bordeaux. <laughs> um, and being the chair of the school board here in Nashville. How do you navigate that space? Um, knowing how we are, our people, you should, hey, Christian, why you ain't doing this? What's going on with this? It's, you know, everything was on your shoulders. Um, <laughs> how do you navigate that? Because I know you're seeing people at Kroger's, you're seeing people at Pub, whatever, you, you're seeing people. Mm -hmm. And people will automatically feel more comfortable approaching you or maybe speaking on you than they would maybe somebody else. Sure. A couple different things. So, A, I really do just kind of stay off of social media. Like, Instagram is the only place where I consistently just kind of, you know, sit. Mm -hmm. But that's because I've curated my my followers and my following in a way that I feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Where I just see a bunch of silly stuff all day. It's my way to escape. I'm not on there a whole lot, though. But everything else, I just delete it off of my phone. So I don't see the negative tweets. I don't see the Facebook posts. I just don't see when people are attacking me. It, just, it, it makes me feel better, and it took that le level of anxiety off. But the other thing is with, you know, better yet, I always say being on the school board has been the best personal and professional development that I could have ever not asked for. <laughs> I was 29 when I decided I was going to run for the school board. At 30, I became the youngest school board member in MMPS history. At 35, I became the youngest school board chair in history. With that, though, I had to grow up quickly. I had to mature more quickly than I think I was ready for. So I have to offer people grace. Mm -hmm. Every single day, just like I offered my students grace when I was a teacher, mm -hmm. I have to offer adults grace. And I realized that so many of us didn't have the experience with public education that we should have, mm -hmm. that they are just looking for someone to blame because they're angry. Mm -hmm. And they should be angry. But in the back of their minds, I know 
that they don't blame me at 36 mm -hmm. for centuries of inequity. Mm -hmm. They don't blame me for MMPS that was established in 1963. They couldn't possibly blame me for everything that's happened to them, their aunts, uncles, their grandparents, mm -hmm. and now their children. Right. But they are looking for me to do something better. Right. And in my mind, I know what um, issues I plan to tackle. I know what the landscape of education looks like at the city, the, the at the local, the city, and the mm -hmm. state level. I know what my parameters are, where I, what I can change and what I can't. Mm -hmm. But I also know that black people can't fix racism. Right. We can try to make shifts. We can uh, improve the hearts and minds of people to see everyone as human. Mm -hmm. We can humanize each other. Like you said earlier, like humanizing is such an important thing in this role. Right. Because I've got to have people see me as human, but I've also got to have people see children as human. Right. Often we look at them as data points. And so when I mesh all that together, I just think about grace. That's the word, that's the word of my tenure. Right. Got to offer people grace even if they don't offer it to me. And the other side of this is that for every one person that has something negative to say, they typically don't say it to me. Right. They might tweet it. You know, they'll be keyboard warriors. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I, I give my phone number, my email address out to right. everyone. I, whenever someone asks to meet, I almost always readily meet. Mm -hmm. So. It was, it's kind of like, you know, when social media first became a thing, that whole right. at me or dat me phrase, mm -hmm. people want to be able to shout into the wind and be upset, and they have that right. right. But if unless they come to me about it, I shouldn't internalize it. Right. I just can't because right. I, I've, I've just seen this quote a number of times that, you know, the way people view you is not your problem. Right. It's just not. Right. It, it's how you, how you interact with them, how right. you support them, how you treat them. And I know I treat people right. I know I struggle at night to go to sleep making sure that I've done everything I could that day right. to support young people in my community. What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, creator and host of Deep Dish Conversations. And I know y'all enjoying this episode, but just real quickly, make sure y'all hit that subscribe button and hit that notification so you can be notified when we drop new episodes and interviews, all right? I appreciate all love and support, and let's get back to this episode. And uh, we know, historically, that uh, women in general, especially black women, um, have not always, have hasn't got the, the same type of opportunities um, or the same type of rewards from the same type of opportunities that men um, that could be in the same position doing the same thing. Um, being 29, being the youngest <laughs> uh, school board member, then being the youngest chair of the school board, um, how have you navigated? No, let's talk about what oh, you trying to stop me. Ah, I got some more faith. Dang, man. It really was a young man. It was a good like, oh, yeah. Oh, is, it, is it off now? Oh, yeah. It was just oh, a daughter, It was like a daughter, too? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to start over there. All right. <laughs> Dang. Dang. Messing me up. <laughs> like, yeah, I see him over there. Sitting. What's going on? Are you trying to signal? <laughs> um, okay. Um, what was that? Oh, okay. I'm starting over. So, being a woman, being a black woman, and understanding that, you know, Women have been always been treated fairly, still to this day. Um, don't still get the same opportunities uh, as men. What have been some of the challenges just, do you feel just being based off your gender <laughs> that you face that maybe, you know, your other gender counterparts, men specifically, may not have had to deal with if they was in your role? Where do I even start? I mean, you know, Many of us grow up hearing that you have to work twice as hard to get half as much, and I always push back against that. I, like, I, I really always struggle with that. Mm -hmm. To give you some context, you know, my grandfather was a state legislator. He was a, po a politician. My grandmother was an educator, and you know, a math educator. 
My uncle is very much a mirror image of my grandfather. I am nothing like my grandmother, right? <laughs> like, they both, they wore suits every day. My grandmother wore stockings. I mean, her hair was always done. It just, right. my uncle is the same way, suited and booted every single day. I was out here a while, child. <laughs> like, just, I was bartending. I mean, I was just living life. And right. then when I felt this calling to really support young people better and then to use whatever soft skills I had to run for the school board, mm -hmm. I slowly started to realize that there's sometimes when I just have to be uncomfortable right. because I need people to see my position when they don't want to see me. Right. So my position will get me in the room. The way I look will often make people want to ignore me, so I've got to come prepared with data. Mm. I've got to make sure that I have rehearsed and articulated everything I want to say. i got to make sure I'm hitting points that are not seeped in my feelings or how you feel about me or what you uh. think. It's going to be about pure data, right. and data has got to drive my decision. So it's very hard often. Like I just told you I just came from the state legislature where I had to testify in front of the state house of representatives. There were a number of white men up there. There were a number of white women up there. There were a handful of black men, but not a single black woman. So there was no one that I could look to and say, hey, sis, you see me, I'm going to draw power from you. I had to draw that from myself and from the community that I knew I was representing, right? right? And so I just had to be there prepared, and I had to stand my ground and say, these are the three reasons why this, this won't work. Right. What you're going to do, because it's, 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 t it's been tested and it has failed every single time, if you do it again, you're going to test it on my children, and my children are going to be harmed. Right. And being able to say that shifted the way that they voted. And I've right. got to remember that in times when I get frustrated, that there are going to be times when people want to brush me off. They right. don't want to let me in the door. They want to have these little microaggressions where they let the door hit me, or they don't want to open it for me but they opened it for every woman before them. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to scoot over to make room for me. I'll stand in the back of the room because you're still going to have to call my name. Right. Because you're still, you're still going to need my signature because right. of the position that I'm in. Right. But to that point, I also want to say, that's another reason why I'm not running for another term. I feel myself starting to appreciate the power. And I never wanted to be become power hungry. Like, I like that people actually return my phone calls because they do need my signature. Right. But that shouldn't be the reason that I, or, or the way that I get things done. Right. So I experience microaggressions in a number of ways, a right. number of times every day. But I just have to make sure that I'm always way more prepared than someone thinks I'm going to be. What's next for you? If you're not going to I'm like, on a paper chase after this. Once I, I'm giving my all to the school board for the mm -hmm. next two and a half years. After that, I'm chasing money. I am going after consulting. I'm, I'm you know, working the stock market. I'm trying to, right. you know, not flip houses because I really want to keep investing in houses in North right. Nashville. But I have set myself on fire way too much, way too long to keep other people warm. I'm just, I'm going to support my my local school and my, you know, the Pearl mm -hmm. Cone cluster by supporting it through a PTO. Right. But I'm not, I'm not running for office again. Y'all can have this. What what like what 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 done it for you? What 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 broke the camel's back? <laughs> A number of things. I think um, maybe if I had to quantify it into three main things that happened to mm -hmm. me, right? First was, you know, with the pandemic, everyone shifted their attention to schools and school boards because finally people realized, like, oh, my gosh, teachers are invaluable. Right. Having safe school buildings is something we should prioritize. Oh, my gosh, we hadn't resourced school. They don't even have enough computers for every baby. And so they shifted their attention to us without thinking about the nuance, about without thinking about what it was we hadn't historically gotten so that our students needed a level setting, but then also what our teachers had not gotten, right? right. And so as... As education became this new sexy thing, people got real rude. 
Mm. I get paid $13,000 a year to be a school board member. Not to say that I'm doing it for the money, but the, the sheer amount of time it takes to return emails, to strategize, to advocate, just the reading and the writing that I have to do is intense. Right. But people, The excellence that it takes. It really does. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's nonstop. I'm right. always tired, right? And so it's like, as they shifted, it, people became more rude and more dismissive. And that, that I, I just don't have the temperament to maintain that, right? right? But then the other thing is, you know, when I first ran for the school board, there were people sitting outside of my home trying to intimidate me, trying to prove that I didn't live in North Nashville like I said I lived. I mean, and I was, again, I was bartending at the time. I'm working at Tennessee State during the day, campaigning all afternoon, working at weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? Just trying to make ends meet because I made so little. Right. And to have people sit outside my home was intimidating. But then the people that started it or the people that supported it and pushed it, people those people are now being elevated as experts in education. And that's just hard for me to watch. Wow. My my pride, my ego, my sense of self just can't keep taking that hit that someone that did so much harm to me personally is professionally a colleague now and that people are looking to them as experts. And it's right. like that's but that's the that's the nature of public education. Right. People don't see educators as experts. Right. They think that anybody can do it. They think, right. well, you know, Anybody can just pick up the book and teach them. I'm like, well, I, I really had to get, to get two different degrees to make sure I understood how to how to teach students about right. systems of equations right. and how to make sure that I'm supporting their social emotional development while I do it. Right. I had to learn how to level um, level text for different students because they're all in the seventh grade, right. but some are reading at a third grade level, some are new American, so they don't even speak English, and then some are ready to be moved on to an eighth grade level at the beginning of the year. It's like people don't see educators as experts, and right. that frustrated me. And then I think lastly, just the conflict of interest with money. You know, the fact that, again, I'm making 13000 a year to do something that prevents me from getting a lot of the contracts or getting the kind of work that I would love to do because those jobs work with MNPS. And right. I wouldn't, people can say a whole lot of stuff about me. They can say that I party, that I bartender, whatever it is that they want to say, right. but you can never say that I'm going to mismanage money. You can never say I'm going to be and put myself in a conflict of interest when it comes to funding. Right. I'll be broke before before I do that. And so I just, I'm tired of being poor. I want to make money. My colleagues are making six figures. Right. I need to be too. I know you got to get up out of here. To so go pick up yeah, I got, yeah, I know you got to get up out of here. So I'm going to end it with this. What does, in your perspective, educational justice mean for Nashville? Um, if it had to be one word, it would be resourcing. Um, I remember with the last director we had, I don't care what anyone says, the reason, the thing that started his dismissal or his downfall in this city was because he tried to shift equity measures and no one wanted to listen to it. No one wanted to support it. So if you're familiar with Title I funding, Title I is their federal dollars, excuse me, that come down to cities, to, to school systems, to better support students who are socially economically disadvantaged, whose families make below a certain amount of money. Well. You had schools that at one point were Title I schools, mm -hmm. but gentrification switched that. So Lachlan, that was once sitting at, like I said, eight, 75, 85, 90% free or reduced lunch, became 12% free or reduced lunch. But they were still getting about $100,000 worth of that Title I funding. Right. And not to pick on Lachlan, but that's just one easy example I offer. He was trying to, sh to pull that money back and offer it to schools that were neediest. So instead of having any school that was at 50% free or reduced lunch, instead of them all getting the same amount of money, he wanted to shift more funding to schools that were at 75% free or reduced lunch or higher. Right. Interestingly enough, 
that would have been all the predominantly black or brown schools in Nashville. Every single one is right. at 75% free or reduced lunch. Right. So as soon as we wanted to start shifting dollars, parents said, well, hold on, why does equity mean that I have to lose something? Well, that's the definition of equity. Mm -hmm. We don't want to say it in that way, right. but that means that those who have historically had resources, right. many times that they really didn't deserve, or and I shouldn't say deserve, but that they didn't qualify for based on guidelines, right. now need to be shifted to schools and, and his people who historically had not had it but needed it. Right. And instead of us saying, well, you know what, that's a good measure, that's a good thing for us to do, there was outrage. Mm. And then when I went to different communities and said, hey, I know you have, you know, you have a privilege in a certain way, so you can keep your kids out of an under-resourced school like a Pearl Cone or a White's Creek that has the reputation that's negative, even though the school is doing well. You, know, right. you have that privilege, but there are so many families who don't. Can you please speak up for this? And there was just silence. And that's where allyship is tested. If you say you're an ally of black and brown folks, people, communities, this is your opportunity. But, you know, the other side of that, though, that we often don't talk about when we speak on equity is that there is a level of privilege that is outside of your race. Right. So even though I might be low income and even though I have a child and I'm a single person, I still have education. I have three degrees. There's right. a certain level of privilege that comes with that. Right. And so I've got to um, swallow that privilege and make sure that I better use my privilege to support students in my community and in my area. Right. So there are, there are people who are minorities who right. don't use their privilege or at least don't recognize their privilege and don't recognize that whatever choice or decision they make may very well be harmful to the child next to them or the family next to them. Right. Well, look, we won't have to do a part two because this wasn't enough. <laughs> But uh, I appreciate your time. Um, if you had I, one more question for me, one, or one more thought you want me to share, what might it be? Critical race theory. <laughs> and so, and I was going to go into, but I know it's a lot. Yeah. I know it's a lot. Um, what is that going to look like now? In that, well, we Tennessee, we know, but what is that going to look like in Nashville now? Is it a way or alternative way? to still implement some of those critical things that, you know, we should be learning in our schools about the history of what happened in this country to particular people. Um, what does that look like now? So much. But if I could condense it, I would say, first, we don't even teach critical race theory. <laughs> critical race theory is a way of viewing policies, and it's taught to um, – L1 lawyers, you know, right. students that are in law school. So students who are full-on adults because they've had to at least earn an undergraduate degree, and now they're in law school for now a first or second year. Mm -hmm. So you're a level one, a level two law student. You're learning about how these policies that you have to memorize, these, these, these state codes that are law, how that has how that was shaped and impacted by race. It mm -hmm. makes you. It makes them think about just race and theory, uh, right. even misogyny. I mean, just the different types of bigotry that are out there that have impacted the policies that they'll be um, supporting or uplifting in different ways. Right? We don't teach that to six-year-olds. Right. We're literally teaching babies how to read and write. Right. So yes, when I'm teaching you how to read and write, I want to teach you factual history. Right. I want to teach you to think critically. Um, you know, the, the pushback that we always get via email is that the, you have parents that are white, they mm -hmm. have white children who are seven or eight, and they come home upset that someone white in history did something bad, and now they feel bad. 
I question that, but I also want to make sure that I'm not being a perpetrator of, of, of nonsense by questioning a child's thoughts or feelings. But right. if that is the case, we want young people to struggle. We want them to have to think critically about right. what they believe and feel instead of uh, blindly accepting their privilege and thinking everyone has that same privilege. Right. So I'll give you a very controversial example. So when we think about Heathcliff Huxtable, mm -hmm. we can love the Huxtables. We can love the Cosby Show, but we can also look at Bill Cosby and things that he was alleged to do and all of the proof that there was when he flat out said that he drugged women, we can think that that is disgusting. Right. So I can love the thing that he did and still not support the person that he, that the things that he did or the person that he was, right? right. We want to have to struggle with that. Right. But for whatever reason, America that is majority white seems to want to push back against that because they've never, as a majority, had to reconcile feelings. Right. They've never had to look at an icon like George Washington and say, that man raped and pillaged people. Right. That man didn't have wooden teeth. He knocked out the teeth of slaves and put them in his own mouth. You know, it's like right. you can love some parts of a historical figure or of a hero and then deplore other parts of them. They want to pick and choose. And, and heaven forbid we all have to struggle with that. We right. have to think critically. Right. So there's so much more I can say, but I hope that at least gave you some. But, but no, and that's why, for me, platforms like this and being intentional and calling those things out is so important. Mm -hmm. And we all have to call them out. White, black, brown, yellow, green. If you Email, male, yeah, male, male yeah, what, what, yeah, whatever you identify as is a human being. Yeah. We all need to call it out because we all affected by it, right. whether you want to admit it or not, on different levels and spectrums, right? But we all affected by it. But we all got to, we all must call it out if we want to move civilization forward. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Just speaking on just a country or city, just the whole civilization of human beings. And I think we're seeing that more. Mm -hmm. uh, but we got to keep putting pressure on that. That's why oh, every single sure. day, like, I'm putting pressure on it. Like, it, I ain't, it's no passes given because I think we didn't give it too many passes and mm -hmm. ignored it and just said, oh, well, okay, I can't, I'm just going to say something. Now, we all got to speak out. And especially, especially our privileged folks, you have to, you have, you speak out. If you're an ally, speak out, right? And uh, we're going to end there, but I appreciate your time. Thank you for everybody checking this out. Yeah, oh, part two you. is coming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> part two with more pizza and uh, more Christian. And, uh, mm. I appreciate you. Thank you. No, thank you for the invitation. We out. <laughs>